may invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's word. Now, we have it up on the screen here because it's a different version than some of you may have. Typically here we study from the New King James Version of the Bible, uh, but the King James Version of the Bible is often a resource or a uh, a version to go to for in-depth study. So this morning we're, we're reading from two versions. We're reading Revelation 4.11 from the King James and then 1 Thessalonians 4 uh, from the New King James. So if you want to read out loud with me, let's do this together. Revelation 4.11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, power, For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Beautiful. Now let's turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I want you to read verse 1 with me. Verse 1. Let's read it out loud. Ready? Finally, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. Let's pray. Lord, we are here gathered, sensing your presence, enjoying the fellowship that we have, and desiring, Lord, that in these last days, when we know that Times will come where uh, those who have itching ears only want to hear what is good. That yet your word is infallible, inerrant, and eternal. And this morning as we place ourselves before your word, we're asking you to speak to us, your church, for your glory And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, the reason we did both of those verses, of course, has to do with the emphasis and the title, very title of our message this morning is How to Please God. Maybe some of you have asked that question. Maybe some of you have not. And I have a small outline that we may be able to follow on the screens, but how to please God. Do you know how to please God? Let me begin with another question. What are some of the things that bring you pleasure? Have you thought about it lately? Maybe you've been so busy in this time of year that what is it that brings me pleasure hasn't been, you know, on the forefront of your thoughts. What are some of the things that please you and bring you great joy? Common questions, certainly a question that applies to what we're going to be studying today. One resource says that for most Americans, the eight things that bring them pleasure are, you ready? That first sip of coffee in the morning a hug from a child, uh, the right song at the right moment, taking a bath or getting into a spa, 
I, I hear ooh and ah there. Uh, reading a good book brings pleasure. Clothes fresh out of the dryer. You like that one? Uh, a walk, a hike, a drive brings many. And uh, eighth, last but not least, a hot fudge sundae. <laughs> so things that bring you pleasure, things that are those kind of things that bring you great joy. But have you considered lately what it is that pleases God, that brings God pleasure? Well, that was why I took us to Revelation 4.11 in the King James Version of the Bible tells us that all things were created for his pleasure. That means you and me. Do I hear music somewhere? And that's pretty good because I have bad hearing. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but that means you and I. We've been created. I was like, are the angels here? Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've been created to bring God pleasure. And according to Paul's word here in these first uh, few verses of chapter 4, all the way up to verse 12, Paul gives uh, five ings, I-N-G, Yes, yes, I said it right, I-N-G-S, five ings that, that bring God pleasure. You, you said, uh, he said rather, that he was writing to them on how they ought to walk and to please God. And those five ings really have to do with embracing, abstaining, increasing, minding, and walking. And I want to unpack those for us this morning a little bit through these first 12 verses. We'll deal with them in that order so that by the end of our time together, you and I can ask each other, you know, is this something happening in my life? And if not, Lord, would you, by your Holy Spirit, bring this into my life so that the very thing I'm created for will bring you pleasure. The first on our list, of course, is embracing the sanctification process in your life. I want to take you to this first area that we're studying. Notice verse uh, 2 that says, For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Verse 3, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Stop right there. First on the list of bringing God pleasure and pleasing God is your sanctification, my sanctification. Notice there's a comma there. It, it, it's, it's a definite part, singularly, all by itself of what is intended to go with Paul's comment about how the Thessalonians ought to walk and how they are to please God. Your sanctification, he says to them. Now, sanctification in the original language means the state of purity or correctly by Hebraism, a purifier. Webster's Dictionary helps us understand that a bit, even more in our vernacular, means to be set apart, sanctified, to set apart, 
Synonyms uh, set apart for a sacred purpose. Synonyms include to cleanse, to purge, or purify, and words related to that are refine, heal, and restore. So what is Scripture saying to us? What is Paul saying to the Thessalonians? He's saying, this is the will of God that you Thessalonians be set apart, that you be set to the side from what you were in the world for a sacred purpose, that your lives be cleansed, purged, purified, refined, healed, and restored. We come to this truth of the word and its meaning in scripture that applies personally to lives and to things first arrives on the scene, of course, in the creative uh, account that God blessed the seventh day and he what? Sanctified it. He set it apart because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. We come again to an understanding of God setting a people apart in Exodus 19 when Moses came down from Mount Sinai to give unto the people of Israel the the love letter from God to their lives of how they were to live and be his witness in the world, he came down to the people and he sanctified the people and he washed their clothes. He set them apart. When the tabernacle was finally created, a place for the people to gather and worship, God promised that in that place where his people gather and worship, then it was the tabernacle. Today it is wherever two or three are gathered in his name. He said, there I will meet with the children of Israel or I will meet with the people of God and uh, the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory or the presence. The tabernacle represented his presence. It's, it's where he, God would meet with people and people would meet with God. And he said, I'll sanctify that place. Did you know this morning, this house right now, because we're here, is sanctified and set apart for God? The question is, are you? You see, it's a process. Do we not agree? It's a three-step process. Sanctification begins the moment we come to faith in Christ. As Isaiah said in Isaiah 1.18, he said, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. When you read of the tribulation saints, in that final day, in that final period of time, Revelation 7.14 says that these are the ones who came out of the great tribulation who washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. That's where being set apart begins, beloved. It can't start until you come to faith in Christ. You who are watching at home, maybe you're in the comfort of your living room and you're thinking, well, I'll just try this channel today. Paul tells us, did you know in 1 Corinthians 6 that no unrighteous person will inherit the kingdom of God? No unrighteous person can say they are sanctified. No unrighteous person can claim that they are in relationship with God. He says, don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, 
idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, nor drunkards, revilers, or extortioners can inherit the kingdom of God. And he nails the Corinthians to the wall, this flamboyant, spiritually supposedly active church that had a lot of corruption going on it. And yeah, they were, they were you know, uh, uh, almost a circus to watch. But he says, and such were some of you. Our prayers that none of that would apply here today, right? Read it backwards. Extortioners, someone who's extorted people. Reviles, someone who's, who's given to fighting and reviling others for evil. Drunkards, any drunkards in the crowd? Covetous, oh, ouch, ouch. Those who covet. Thieves, you ever stole anything in your life? I remember I used to eat the ceviche we used to make in the meat department and put in little cap plastic things and put it out. And of course, we want to do a little product quality testing, right? According to company policy, that was stealing. Sodomites, homosexuals, adulterers, idolaters, fornicators, And such were some of you, Paul says. He says, but he said to them, this is, this is the glorious church of Corinth that, yes, had its internal problems, but by and large, because of their faith in Christ, he said, but you were washed. You were sanctified. And you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of God. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus and says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near because of the blood of Jesus. Folks, if you're watching or if you're listening, you and I can't begin to please God until we first come to faith in God by believing in His Son, Jesus Christ. We cannot, until we deal with the person of Jesus, that he was here. Historical records say there was a man named Jesus Christ who walked the earth. Till we deal with his death, why he died, and how he died, and his resurrection. That as the Son of God, God promised that he would rise the third day, conquering sin, hell, and the grave. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, will open the door. I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Have you dealt with the Son of God today? Because that's where sanctification begins. If you haven't, please don't leave this service. Please don't Turn off that channel until you understand that Christ is knocking at the door of your heart. What do you do? 
as John records, Jesus is speaking and he was asked, what shall we do that we may do the works of God? And Jesus said, this is the work of God. Believe on God who has sent him. Believe on the one. It's a three-step process. It begins at salvation. It goes on through our lives during what we would call from salvation until the time we enter eternal rest. That is sanctified as well, being, being set apart. Someone once put it this way. I am sanctified, I am being sanctified, and I will be sanctified. So at salvation, I'm set apart. We're here breathing living, so you're listening to my voice. That means we're alive. If you've come to faith in Christ, guess what? He's not done with you. He's working on sanctifying you and me, meaning continuing to cleanse, purge, purify, refine, heal, restore. But guess what? That often comes to us by way of correction, by way of redirecting our lives. How, how willing are you to let God redirect something in your life this morning? Proverbs puts it this way, Proverbs 3.12, For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. Job, one of those famous characters who underwent tremendous hardship, but understood that God is seeking to correct something in his life. He put it, behold, happy is the man, Job 5.17, happy is the man whom God corrects, therefore do not despise the chastening of the Almighty. In other words, it's like when we talk about taking a bath, cleaning, getting cleaned up. Oh, don't, don't ever... Embrace the perspective that, oh, I, I need to get myself clean before I come to Christ. You come to Christ, he'll do the washing and the cleansing. You come as you are. I come as I am. And that's not only at the beginning of my life with Christ, that's each and every day. Come as you are. It's like, it's like taking a bath in the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. Did you know that Dr. Grant of the Association of American Parents says that an infant, listen to this, usually is bathed three times a week in their first year. An infant, at least three times a week. Well, uh, I'm terrible at math, but my calculator tells me that's about 168 times the first year. Within the first 10 years, that's 1,680. And by the age of 20, even at three showers, baths a week, this person has taken three 1,360 events where they're washing their physical body. How many times are you letting the Lord cleanse you? How many times have you sat and said, Lord, just I, I need a bath today. Wash me, cleanse me. Hebrews 12.5 says, Do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. Embracing your sanctification. That's the first ing. And then finally, one day in heaven, guess what? Catapulted into his presence. They're finally sanctified. Set apart. Finally cleansed, finally purged.
The second thing that Paul tells us is the roadmap to pleasing God. Not only embracing your sanctification, but secondly, abstaining from sexual immorality. Verse 3, I'll bring us there again. He says, after the comma, after sanctification, he says that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testify. For God did not call us to uncleanliness, but to holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this and maybe the, this is in italics in your Bible. It's talking about there who, who rejects what this uh, very living word that Paul is giving. He who rejects this does not reject man, but rejects but God. The inference is that the word reject is in there again. Does not reject man, but God, who also has given us his Holy Spirit. Abstaining from sexual immorality. One definition says that's the quality or state of being immoral sexually in practice. And we see four things here in those few verses that deal with sexual immorality. First, the, the reasons is that the Lord is the avenger of all such. In other words, there is a consequence upon which God, the creator of all humankind, has imposed a consequence to those who choose to willfully live in sexual immorality. Secondly, we see that the call of God on our lives is to holiness in verse 7. Thirdly, we see that to reject God's command in verse 8 is to reject God himself and Lastly, in verse 8, that the Holy Spirit will empower the one who chooses to seek to obey God. We understand sexual immorality as being anything that is uh, dealing with the nature of sexual things and goes beyond just the reproductive activity of a husband and wife. Within the context of, of God's word, we're told that intercourse and sexuality is to take place only between a husband and a wife. Anything outside of that falls into this category. And we know often because of pervasiveness in our culture today, we're inundated in screens and media of all kinds that the word fornication is uh, originally pornea and we get our word pornography from it pornography is a form of sexual immorality and many men many men in the church have been stumbled and fallen by such tragedy but anything outside of a husband and a wife enjoying each other sexually within the context of that they both agree, is considered sexual immorality. 
And God commands it in order to please him that we are to abstain from it. We have a record, of course, in 1 Corinthians 7. Paul talks about husbands and wives and says, concerning the things of which I wrote, it is good for a man not to even touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual morality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Now, if you're here and you're single today or if you're listening via online and you're single, then, then there's a place for single people in the kingdom of God, in the work of God. Paul says, even at the end of this chapter in 1 Corinthians, he says, I would that all, all were like me. We know that Paul... After his conversion to Christ, we never hear of, of his married life. As a Pharisee, he would have had to have been married. When a, a single individual often can give themselves more fully to the things of God, whereas a husband must give his attention to the things of his wife and the wife to the things of her husband. But when it comes to this subject of sexual morality, Paul went on to say, he said, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and then come together again. We all know what he's referring to there. Uh, being intimate with one another so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Sexual immorality in the church comes because of a lack of self-control in the life of the Christian, both male and female. And God says, if you want to please me, you need to abstain from that. If you want to please me, you need to embrace my sanctification process in your life. And thirdly, if you want to please me, he says, I want you to increase in your love for your brother and your sister. Increasing in brotherly love. Verse 9, he says, but concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. How about that? They were taught by God. What, what, I mean, you can just skip over that, but what is that? by the Holy Spirit, God was teaching them that. Taught by God to love one another, and indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are uh, in all Macedonia, but we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. The third way in which the believer, the Christian, pleases God is by increasing in their brotherly love. Increasing in their agape love for other brothers and sisters in Christ. Now why is that so important this morning? It's obvious. There are probably people you know that are Christians that you have a little trouble with. There may even be people you know that are Christians that you're not sure you want to spend time with them. You're awfully quiet. 
There may be people you know this morning that are Christians that have offended you in some way. And you're not over it yet. And you're not sure you want to get over it. I had the privilege this last week to help orchestrate a a memorial service for a family that would take place in Phoenix. And I think I shared a little bit of this with you guys perhaps Wednesday night, but the short of it is, is that because of an uprising in COVID cases, because of the busyness of Christmas, it was difficult for this family to find a, a, a church, particularly a Calvary Chapel, that would open its doors for a memorial service on Saturday the 18th before Christmas. And um, I, I just couldn't find one, so I called the family back and said, I'm sorry, you'll have to just do this at a, a funeral home. But later that day, one of the persons that I'd reached out to through email contacted me and said, hey, what's going on? I explained. He says, no, 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 wait a minute. He says, you call this guy or that guy, and I'm sure one of those guys, if they knew what was happening, they would open their doors, they'd make their staff available, and make their people available, no matter what. So I reached out to both those individuals, and, and sure enough, one of them called me back and said, hey, you know, well, of course, send the family here. After all, it's not my building, it's God's building. And after all, we're, we're all brothers and sisters. We better get used to being with one another because we're going to spend eternity together. If you can't find a way to be okay with your brother or sister here, how do you think you're going to handle it up there? Answer? The answer is you have to be reconciled here. Now, today, as much as be within you to be at peace, live peaceably with all men. Increase in your love for your brother and sister. Don't, don't come to some you know, level and go, well, that's it. I, that's about as much love as I can carry for my brother and my sister. Increase. Increase the more and the more. That pleases God. And if you don't find it within you, which you probably won't, it's again that place where you say, Lord, I'm yours. I can't do this, but you can do this in me. Amen. The fourth way in which we please God as we move forward here, we come to it toward the end of our passage, which has to do with minding your own business. Embracing your sanctification, abstaining from sexual immorality, increasing in your brotherly love, and minding your own business. Look, Paul gets right to the heart of it. He says in verse 11, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, to work with your own hands as we command you. This is a simple topic that hits at the core of oftentimes what social media has interrupted and at times even corrupted. Uh, This hits at the core of, of the need for clear communication between uh, those that cross your life path. And it hits at the core of what sometimes some tendencies can be uh, 
to get overly involved in someone else's affairs when they're not asked to. I was uh, helping my wife yesterday. We had a craft fair in Ione. And uh, it was early in the morning. We were unloading a bunch of product to set up. We have this uh, beautiful little three-sided wire thing. And her business is called Stitches of Joy from that verse that says, you know, weeping may remain for a nighttime, but joy cometh in the morning. And Sherry loves to sew, and she loves, more importantly, to talk with people as they visit her sewing place. And it's just a joy to watch her minister. And oftentimes Christians come in, and we have a chance to visit some... More than not, it's a non-believer, but you never know how God is ministering. And so getting that set up, we've got to bring in a lot of totes, right? And so I was bringing in the totes from the truck, and I was about 30, 40 yards away, and a bag had opened up, and one of her little makeup bags had fallen on the ground. I didn't know it. And so I'm bringing these totes, I'm bringing these totes, and uh, finally... Uh, an, I won't say elderly lady, but a lady who was definitely my senior uh, saw something and she picked it up on the ground. And as I was going back for the last tote, she says, do you know whose this is? Oh, yeah, that's mine. I'm sorry. I dropped it. She goes, shame on you. And I just like shocked me, you know, my, I was being told what so by my elder. And I, I express that to you because at times getting involved in other people's business, when it's not your business to get involved, shame on you. Don't do it. It doesn't please God. And it will bring no good. Lastly this morning, this is probably equally not probably, this is equally important. We're dealing with the fact of walking properly toward those who are outside. Look at verse 12, and he says, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside and that you lack nothing. What does Paul, the apostle, mean as he's encouraging these Thessalonians who have such a great kind of record of what's going on in their fellowship. And he's so glad to hear the news of their love and, and all of that. He's, he's reminding them that it's not an us for and no more club. That the gospel of Jesus Christ, alive and working in the body of Christ, is to be a witness of Christ in an outside world. And that means we're responsible of how we walk toward those who do not believe. How you treat your unbelieving neighbor. How you treat your unbelieving coworker. To walk properly the things of integrity and respect, kind speech. The ability to engage in conversation one way or the other when, when there is not necessarily something. We're not on the same belief page. Or do we just, you know, brush them away? 
not interested. You're not interested. I'm not interested in you. What a, what a travesty that would be. No, Paul, clear in the word of God, were to walk properly toward them. In other words, display the love of God toward all. And so I see these things here. And I'm reminded this morning of the value of Paul's letter to these Christians in Thessalonica. That the timeless word presents itself again and again and again all through the New Testament and that Christ himself is seen from Genesis to Revelation. It it begs the question, are you pleasing God today? Because our, our study is, how do I please God? Now, for the individual who may not even believe there is a God or is not interested in knowing about God um, or may believe there is a God but is not necessarily concerned about how they are to please the, con- the God of their concept, then that's a whole nother discussion, and it's a, um, a whole nother argument, if you will, debate or opportunity to give an answer for the hope that is within us. But for you and I this morning, and you're at home if you're watching, if you are a Christian this morning, which... You answer that question, are you pleasing God today? Which means, has it begun by you being set apart by faith in the blood of Christ? Embracing not only that part of the sanctifying work, but now correcting and altering and changing you along the way. We're not done until we're done. And as long as there's breath in us, God is seeking to continue to form us into his image. Are you embracing the corrective aspect of his sanctifying work and looking forward to that day when, when, as our brother Brian so rightly knows right now is in his presence finally set apart. Are you abstaining from any form of sexual immorality? Have you chosen to say, Lord, show me what is impure and pure as it relates to this subject, and I will submit and abstain, remove, stay away from anything that is sexually immoral. Our culture is filtered and penetrated with it. If you and I take the stand that Paul is talking about here, you will be an oddball in the crowd. 
Praise God. Increasing? Are you today increasing in your love for your brother and your sister? Is it growing or is it diminishing? Is it getting bigger and wider or is it like narrowing? Have you decided to mind your own business and not others and walk properly to, toward every unbeliever you know that they, they sense acceptability, a love they don't understand, and a personage that that is pleasant to be with. I think those are profound questions and coming upon them myself is like, Lord, you know, work on me, please. Would we all in this Christmas time of year say, yes, Lord, work on me as well. You can do that today, and you can walk. If, if God has spoken in any way, you can walk away from here knowing that I have begun today afresh to live my life and walk in such a way that I please God. You can do that. You can do it as we pray, as we close. God's the one who's listening to the prayer of your heart. Will you join me? Let's pray. Lord, this morning we thank you for your word. We thank you for the work of your spirit. We acknowledge that it is a living word. And because it's alive and quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, that, Lord, when you speak, we often are drawn closer to you. At times we're convicted about the thing you may want to do in our life. And this morning, you know each one of us. And whether or not we've chosen in our life to please you. So as we have studied today, Lord, we ask that you would work in a way that only you can do. God, we're helpless. We can't do this on our own. And you haven't left us to do it on our own. You promised and you gave us the Holy Spirit. And we are so thankful this morning, Lord. You know every heart here. Every life. So as we worship, Lord, may this be a prayer, may it be a, a confession, a declaration, 
We want you to refine us and make us more like you. In Jesus' name we pray.